theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning, theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello, Dr. Amy. How are you today? I am doing really well and excited about conversations around leadership, particularly leadership in education. Yes, and the person that we're going to talk to, to me, she has a perfect path. I know for you and I, our path was a little wobbly. A little crooked. Yeah, it was a little crooked. (laughs) And I'll be honest, for me, I always thought about the next thing, maybe the next thing, but not the next thing after that thing. (laughs) So it's interesting. It'll be interesting talking to someone who has a real clear path and their journey to success, to a very, very successful career. And I know a lot of people go into the field of education with goals of being a principal, with goals of being a superintendent, with goals of being a college president. So I think talking to our guests today will help them on that journey to, you know, how do you pave that journey out for yourself? I agree. There are some big far-reaching goals that we set for ourselves, but we often forget to backwards map and see how we're supposed to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm I'm excited about this conversation. So let me introduce Dr. Beverly Schneller, who is the provost at Governor State University. As an experienced educator and senior academic affairs administrator, Dr. Schneller has a background in legislative affairs, grants, program design, higher education finance, faculty professional development, campus strategic planning, shared governance, and university assessment. She is a member of Omicron Delta Kappa, member of the AASCU Emerging Leaders Cohort, with a project on institutional finances and legislative advocacy for revenue appropriations and improvements in smaller liberal arts colleges. She's the author of three books, numerous journal articles and scholarly book reviews, maintaining that scholarship in higher education. Dr. Schneller has a strong service record on strategic agenda task force, co-chairing curriculum expansion, designing and implementing faculty research development seminars, and is actively engaged in curriculum development, planning, and assessment. And I am excited that you're with us today, Dr. Schneller, Provost Schneller, to talk about your pathway to leadership. Thank you. 
It's my pleasure to be here. Good afternoon. It's wonderful. Can I say you are a bag of chips and all of that? <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a lot of opportunities. And all of that, you are, you know, some of our brains are probably swimming as Amy is reading that impressive resume. Uh, you know, when I look at your resume, I think back at my former institution and I would go into the library and be greeted by this young man. He was making minimum wage, you know, he was just at the information desk and he was the sharpest dresser on campus. And I would always ask him about his attire. And, you know, he's saying, I'm not dressed for what I do. I'm dressed for what I want to be. Right. And when we look at your career path, it is wonderful. And Amy and I were talking about our career paths, a little crooked, <laughs> just a little crooked. I look at the next thing, not the thing after the thing. But how did you decide and define what was important in reaching your career goals? Well, I think that for me, it was, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting story because I, I realized that after teaching Sunday school to eighth graders when I was younger, that anything shorter than me was probably not going to work for me as a, as a clientele or population. I was interested in teaching. And so I just kind of worked towards the audience where I felt most comfortable. And that is the college and university audience. And so when I started out, you know, as a, as a young professional, my first job in New York, that was, I had the, the interesting ability to get really two jobs at once, which was working as the assistant director of the writing program and being a, a new assistant professor who was then ABD, you know, all but dissertation for my, for my PhD. So I have always worked side by side in administration. And over the years, things have just come my way or people pointed me in a direction and said, you know, this might be something that you would like to learn how to do, or I'd like you to help me do this. And so generally I will say yes. And so I learned along the way, different things that I could, that I could do and some things I never thought I'd be doing and ended up doing them too. There's something to be said about working with middle schoolers. Amy and I also work with middle schoolers and it's amazing that we're not, none of us are doing it now. <laughs> They've had no. quite an impact on us, huh? <laughs> no, they're nice people, I'm they're sure, nice people. but they're just not my connectivity population. <laughs> so, you know, I just didn't, didn't quite relate to them. So yeah, yeah. middle grades can catapult you to higher ed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the secret, right? You mentioned that some people would open some opportunities for you or talk about that thing that sounded really neat to be involved in. Can you pinpoint some of those places or some of those people along your journey that really propelled you forward? Sure. I went to a small private school in downtown Houston for my undergraduate degree. And I had the opportunity to work with faculty members who were largely trained at Rice University in the English department. And the department chair of the English program was somebody I got to know. She knew all of us, you know, we're kind of a small group of students. And um, 
I let her know that I was interested in perhaps pursuing a career in college teaching. And so in my, in the end of my junior year and all of my senior year, she basically provided me with just, you know, tutoring on how to be a college professor. And I, I watched her develop syllabuses and I watched her grade. And we talked about, you know, how we graded, how she graded papers for freshmen and that kind of thing. I had a buy year when at the end of my undergraduate I had not decided where I was going to go to graduate school, so I worked in our university library for a year and took some graduate courses at the same institution and had the chance then, because I had the, the degree, to be able to be a, an occasional lecturer in a couple of classes that people were teaching about, you know, topics in literature, and so it was a nice proving ground, and in those days, you could substitute teach, and so we had a high school that was affiliated with the uh, religious order that ran my college. And so I also had the chance to teach a couple of high school classes in one case for an extended period, like a couple of weeks while the faculty member was out doing something else and uh, out sick, I think. So, you know, I had those opportunities. And then moving forward, the, the assistant writing director job was, was kind of trial by fire for leadership because the person who was the director had had one weakness, which was not wanting to deal with underperforming faculty. <laughs> and so it was typically like that old life cereal commercial, you know, let Mikey try it. And this was, oh, let Beverly deal with it. <laughs> and so I supervised 35 part-time faculty members. And my one of the first things I had to do was talk to a woman and let her go because her performance reviews had not been great. Great. And so, you know, you learn by things like that. And then in the 90s, assessment, student learning outcomes assessment was really gaining ground. And we had a faculty member who had come from another institution we'd hired as our first director of assessment. And because I was chair of the English department, he was very interested in getting us on board with the assessment activities. And that really charted my course then from teaching English and being an English department administrator to managing gen ed, becoming an assessment coordinator, then becoming an accreditation specialist in three different, you know, this is my third one now, but first in middle states, then in SAC COC, and now I'm learning HLC because I live in an HLC area now. And so those things along the way were very helpful in terms of getting me there. And then in the job just prior to this one, I had a lot of opportunity to work with with the then president um, who tapped me to do the work in legislative affairs and to run the grants office and uh, work on MOUs and innovation projects and just do a whole bunch of different things. And I asked him why he wanted me to do these things. And he said, because you know how to tell the story of the university and you know how to get people to listen to you. So, you know, the coming from the rhetoric background, the narrative background, the writing background, all of that as skills, you know, paid off in being able to customize whatever story it is you want to tell to whatever audience you need to tell it to. And in my case, it was state legislators. So I've had people who, you know, really either either saw things I was doing directly or had the sense I would be able to do something over the course of my whole career. And I've generally, as I said, you know, they, they've said, would you try to do this or would you do this? And I say yes. So. so Amy, I can tell she's speaking your language as a former English teacher. <laughs> Amy's probably <laughs> taking, taking notes. I want to talk to you about being 
fearless and some obstacles. And I was listening to you and I really heard a lot of things about being fearless because in these opportunities, there were risks. Oh, yeah. And you made a lot of decisions to move here, to move there, to try this. And that really takes being fearless because sometimes we move, it doesn't always work out, but that's how we achieve success by taking those opportunities. Amy and both Amy and I, we worked on our doctor degree with children. <laughs> My children were toddlers. So I was working full time. I had toddler children and husband and house, you know, the whole thing. Talk about what do you see as obstacles and how might you take what may have been an obstacle and turn it into an opportunity? Well, I think that one of the biggest obstacles in higher education is that higher ed is very attached to titles. And so one of the, one of the obstacles operationally that I faced was finding, finding ways to get the different activities and the different projects and things leveraged into a situation where someone would would choose me basically for whatever the project was and so I worked with a colleague at, at you know one of one of my jobs who who did just that who said well we have an opportunity and you know I'd like for you to to take it and that gave the title that needed to be in place that opened the rest of the doors it's a kind of credentialing that higher education is traditionally very comfortable with that works against the ways that people are working now because in the gig economy where competencies and the ability to do things with or without titles and as a sole source provider and an entrepreneur are becoming more the ways of doing things to want to hold on to, well, you have to be an X before you can be a Y and then you can't be a Y if you haven't been a Z. And so that can be very challenging. So what I have tried to do when I've had the opportunity is not be as, I mean, sometimes you do have to be constrained by the title for certain reasons, but when you don't, you can look at what the skills and potential and competencies of people are and invite them into the space and see if, if you know, if those skills are really going to pay off for you with whatever the title is that you, that you have to have. So that's been a real challenge, you know, working through those job titles and trying to work around those. You were talking about personally, so I don't talk about this very much, but my husband passed away 17 years ago. And so for probably, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years, he had a lot of significant health issues. And so while I was building my career, we were also dealing with the things that ultimately led him to pass away. And so after that, it was just the challenge of trying to figure out how you were going to reinvent and reestablish yourself and reframe who you are uh, when you've been in a relationship. We were married for 20 years. So when you've been married for 20 years, you know, it's just, it's hard to figure out how to go forward in a case like that. So, you know, that's something you have to, you have to overcome and just keep pushing, you know, just keep pushing forward. Because otherwise, you know, you, you just, you just don't go anywhere. So that was not, that was not my trajectory was to not go anywhere. I think another challenge has been not, not associated necessarily with the, with the changing the jobs, because 
what happened was once I got into the first of the associate provost positions, then my work with accreditation led to three rapid changes where people called me and said, come in and fix this, come in and help us get to where we need to be with accreditation. And because I really liked that, I was happy to make the jump. So, you know, there was the challenge of moving and restarting with a different campus in a relatively short amount of time because you know, just about the time you get comfortable, and this is true with all, all the times now people are spending in the jobs are about four to five years, whether you're a dean or a provost or a president, you're in for what is a, a smaller window uh, than it used to be. So just about the time you're getting everything set up, you might be looking for your next opportunity or somebody's looking for you. So you, you don't see that as an obstacle, it's an opportunity, but you have to be able to work fast to build your culture so that you can get things done within whatever window you might have. You know, and I've had friends who took jobs and were in it for a year or two and something happened to their president or something happened to their provost and there was a leadership change and they found themselves needing to go right then. And so another challenge is if you haven't been in the job for whatever number of years the university wants you to be or thinks you should be, they can find they can find that as something maybe that's wrong with you when it's just the circumstances, you know. You know, I wanted to comment on something you said about you really established yourself and your skills and people came after you. And I can recall having employees, they would always say, why wasn't I selected? You know, they wanted a certain position and they could never get seem to get ahead and why why wasn't I chosen? And I would always ask them, well, you tell me, mm-hmm. why weren't you chosen? You know, why wasn't it that they didn't think of you at all and how you have to invent yourself for what it is that you want to be? So I think that there's a, a really strong message there. And this generation now, I don't know, are they millennials? What are they called? They're Gen Z's. Gen Z's. They're you Gen know? Z's. Mm-hmm. Think a little differently. You know, I'm a little jealous of how they think now. Some of them are really bold. When my son graduated from college, ooh, it's been 12 years now since he graduated. His car was packed, you know, after our little graduation party. And I was like, okay, when are you going to unpack and come in the house? He said, why should I come in the house? He said, I choose not to live in this state. And I want to go to Texas. And he said, since I have to look for a job, why shouldn't I start looking where I want to live? Right. And he took that opportunity and he moved out on his own to a place he wanted to be. And he's been thriving ever since. So again, you know, that fearless, that fearlessness to take a chance on yourself really pays off. Also, I mean, you talk about transformational life event they can be turned around into an opportunity I mean what do they look like and how might we share that with others like what those look like and how might you have a different outlook than someone who has a roadblock mentality <laughs> well since I don't really since I don't really have a roadblock in my mind I just move it out of the way I, I figure I figure there's a there's a way to repaint it uh you know hook it up to a crane and move it I mean there's there's something you can do to get it out of the way but I mean if, if but there are times when you don't you know like when you lay out the plan 
and whatever it is that you want to have happen is isn't happening. And you know, like it, it took a little while from uh, from being in the associate provost position to making provost, but you just don't lose hope and you just keep building. You know, because you mentioned when you were reading my intro about the emerging leaders project and during COVID, like a lot of people, I took training with the uh, there's a, a, a social emotional intelligence institute out in Colorado. There's a great group in North Carolina that's called Training Industry. None of these people pay me anything to talk about them. But I think building your skill sets and trying to figure out, because in higher ed, you know, you see the job, you apply for the job. If you don't get it, then they publish who did. And so looking at the credentials of the people who did get the job and what their president said about them or their committee or whatever, it says, oh, well, I haven't done that. So how might I be able to get, get that skill or gain that skill? Um, you know, and so I think that that's part of it, too, just you know, sometimes circumstances do work against you and you really do just make the best of what you've got and try to find those. If you're, if in other words, if your goal was to go upwards, but you're in a lateral position and you can't get out of it, then the best thing you can do is, I think, build your skill set so that you are still comfortable with where you want to be so that if that door opens, you can shoot through it like a rocket. And if not, you can learn what those skills are and bring them back to where you are laterally and try to improve whatever it is that you are working with in a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, you know, because I have friends who, because they have family or because they have children, they're, they're in geographic areas where they can't leave for whatever reason. And so if they're aspiring for a full-time teaching job and that's what they want, they could either frustrate themselves to the point where they get really sad or they can read and write and go to conferences, especially in the last couple of years online, build up their, their visibility and then maybe somebody will see something that they did at a conference and reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to partner with me on this or I have this opportunity. So I think that I think that a way to think about what you're asking is to try to figure out how to remain present and visible in whatever situation you're in. You know, you don't have to be the person in the front row who's always got their hand up at every president's meeting going, look at me. Um, you don't need to do that, but there are ways that you can contribute. And so trying to figure out who those contributors are and how you might work with them is a way that you can move forward yourself too. I mean, anyone listening to, to this podcast can really get a sense of some direction and how you mentor your people and how you can guide them forward. A lot of great suggestions for staying present and staying aware, keeping ears and eyes open and building those skill sets. And I know at GSU, we have really started implementing a more systematic approach to mentoring and yes. having that partnership with mentors and mentees. What suggestions do you have for mentors as we develop and further our program? And for those who are listening, what suggestions do you have for them? I think that the more you work with people, the more you become aware that everyone has a story. 
everyone has a different perspective and you can learn from anyone and everyone. And I think that sometimes because people might be singled out or chosen or invited to mentor, sometimes I think the expectation, excuse me, is that you're so much wiser than your mentee and you can guide them and whatever. But I think that the most productive mentoring relationships are really when you help each other learn more uh, about yourself, if you're open to that kind of thing, or if you learn more about your job, you learn more about the opportunities and how things work with other people. I think mentors to be successful because there is that expectation that, you know, there is a, there's a hope that there'll be some guidance there. I think to be successful that we should stay on top of the trends and issues in higher education. We should read widely about things that are going on because our industry is evolving. But I think generally just talking to people about what their experiences are. Right now, I'm in the ASCU program, the Academy for New Provosts that just started a week ago. And there are 30 of us in there. And we're in because we have not been provost for a year yet. And so the, the, the main takeaway of that was we have a group of people that we can talk to. And in our small groups, we were mentoring each other, you know, informally, but just answering people's questions and saying, did this ever happen to you? And you're not going into therapy, like how did it make you feel when that occurred? But, but just being aware that people view situations differently. And I think that the longer you're in a leadership position of any kind, the more you have the opportunity to learn from other people. So learning how to learning how to be in the back row, learning how to take the back seat or the side seat and not having to always call attention to yourself can teach you a lot more than being the person who is able to answer questions. I mean, because we're all here because we can answer the questions, right? My late husband used to say that one of his friends said when he went to law school, he said he was shocked the first day because the professor asked a question and 300 hands shot up. And that guy was used to being the only one who knew the answer. And it's a good reminder. And it's a visual reminder that, you know, when you're in a dynamic environment like we are here at Governor State or whatever campus anybody's at or whatever job they're in who's listening to, to our talk today, it's like there's going to be other people in the room who can answer that question. What it comes down to is how you choose to answer that question, what you value when you put out the answer, and who you take with you on the journey to get that problem solved or that question answered. Something you said earlier when we were talking about obstacles, and I thought about the phrase, you know, grow where you are planted. Yeah. You know, sometimes people feel like, I can't grow because I'm stuck here or I'm in a rut instead of looking around of how do I flourish? Mm -hmm. How do I strive and make the best out of my setting? So what opportunities do you have that new graduates, especially what think types of strategies should they take advantage of that would help shape their future? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think I think learning to read the room, going back to what I said before, mm -hmm. you know, as a new person in any environment, learning to read the room is really important. And so I would say to someone who is just graduating and going into higher ed or going into the teaching profession, learn to read the room, 
see see how people react, see how they respond to things and be outgoing. Go up and meet people. Go up and say hello. And if after, you know, that that 15 seconds when there's no response to a question and you know the answer, then go ahead and stage it and start a conversation with people. I think if you don't if you don't shine a little bit of a spotlight on yourself, then people won't know that that you're there basically. I mean they won't know they won't know who you are, they won't know what you value, you know, and so I think that that is really important to be able to really understand the culture that you're going into to be sure that you can mirror and embrace that culture to be authentic in speaking about the shared beliefs and values that you have understand your leader's agenda. In our case, it's the president. So understand our president's agenda and be sure that you find ways to intersect and work with that agenda. And then I think just listening and volunteering, you know, like when people say, I need somebody to work on this. But, you know, the other thing I've had happen at Governor State, which I think maybe has been helpful for some people, we'll see because, you know, in higher ed, the reward for showing interest is more work. So, but I have had people come up to me after some of my, uh, some of our campus events, places where people have heard me talk, and they have said, I liked what you said about this, or I was interested interested in what you said about this. And, you know, I'm giving away a trade secret here, but I make notes about who these people are. And then when something comes up, I will reach out to that person and say, you know, I have this opportunity. We have the opportunity. And is it something that you might be interested in? So what I really want to do here, and it's actually something that Amy mentioned when I was interviewing because she's on my search, was on my search committee, I really want to be sure that we cultivate leadership among all people or as many people who want a leadership role as possible. And we find things because we do have the 30,000 foot view of things that are going on at the university that we find ways to bring those people in. And my hope is that even if it doesn't sound as glamorous as what the person might have wanted to do, that they will trust us enough to say, okay, I'll do it because I will have picked that person or encouraged someone else to talk to that person because I heard something or I saw something that made me think they would be a good person for whatever the project is or whatever the opportunity is. You make some really good points about really knowing what you value and really being clear with your alignment to the mission and vision of the space in which you want to be. And mm-hmm. going back to that recent graduate or or someone new to the field, yeah. career, career services recommend having an elevator pitch, but I can see having that those values and that mission and that vision as part of that pitch. What is your elevator pitch? Well, that's a good question because it changes over time. And I think that's important too, because a lot of times we will see people who want to come into administration who, who, you know, are still thinking in whatever modality they started in, you know, not really thinking about how this job is different from other jobs. I think that, well, there's several facets to my elevator pitch, but I think that the things, the thing that I value the most in dealing with people is being being fair and communicating clearly. 
And I inherited a, a situation at one of my positions where there was a there was a lot of tension in the department that I was working in. And so the the challenge was to try to get it to detente, just to get it to a kind of peace. They didn't have to, you know, they just had to be functional and and do a good job for the students. And I worked really hard for about a year to get almost everybody to that point where we had that one shared value that our goal was to reach the students, to teach the students. And it's something everybody bought into. Everybody believed it. So I think that, you know, as far as the elevator pitch is concerned, it's, you know, being clear about communication, being equitable, transparent in your decision-making. Um, and then for me personally, it's, I am just a huge fan of innovation, creativity, transformation. I will try anything at least once. What I don't like to hear is somebody saying, well, we did this before and it didn't work. And my answer is usually, well, we weren't here then, so let's try again. You know, I mean, I find a nice way to say it, but it's like, it's like, well, just because you didn't, just because it didn't work before, it doesn't mean it won't work now. But then that probing question I was talking about before, that spirit of inquiry, you have to go in and drill down and say, well, why didn't it work before? And then separate personalities from process, from goals, from clarity of instruction to things you can manage and things you can't manage, you know, and then kind of recast it to get the interest back for whatever it might be. Speaking of, we weren't here then. <laughs> yes. We know why GSU chose you. Tell us why you chose GSU and what are some of the goals that you'd like to accomplish here for GSU? Yeah, I wasn't here when you all chose me, but I did find out, right? So that's, yeah. that's good. That's a good way to put it, right? Um, well, I chose GSU initially based on the job ad because the ad was, was really in line with things that I was interested in doing. So one of the things that you know, you come to when you've been in the business for a while, when you have the ability to make your own choices is you can pick the places that you want to go and you can pick the places and then hope they pick you that are aligned with your vision and your values. And so I really liked the description of the campus. I liked the work that it was doing um, as described on paper. I did my homework and saw our new president green, you know, in her inauguration video on YouTube. And I thought, okay, I, I hear, I hear what she's saying. I can do this. But really what sold me on it was when I came here and I met the people. And I, well, first was the Zoom because the Zoom interview, and Amy will remember this, every little box on the Zoom screen was full. There was this huge committee of people. And oh my gosh, I mean, we went through like, what was it like a two hour and a half or two hours or something? It felt like a whole day. By the time I was done, I just leaned back in the chair and I was like, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to move for at least an hour from all this. But it was really interesting to see and hear everybody. And then when I came out for my in-person interview, you know, it was the same experience. I mean, just a day full of really engaged, interesting people who throughout the day showed how much they like being with each other. And you can tell when people are doing something because companies here and when they really act this way among themselves. And there were a couple of meetings in the late afternoon on my interview day where people were a little tired and they were a little punchy and they were more fun than they probably in retrospect thought they might have needed to be, but it was who they really are, you know? And I like that. So when I left the campus, 
my worry was that they weren't really like that. So when I came back to campus and saw some of the same people and met new people, and then, you know, of course, we had our campus, campus-wide celebration for my, for my coming and everything, and I saw everyone, I thought, yeah, this was a great choice because the people here are, are who they are. And that's very important. And you don't always find that. And so I'm I'm really grateful that this campus community chose me to come and be a part of the work that we're doing here. Well, I hope you stay in that honeymoon phase for a very long time of that U-shaped hypothesis. So hopefully you stay there for a long time. This is, it's interesting that there's a lot of job opportunities right now. You know, mm -hmm. we're experiencing the greatest teacher shortage ever. And there's right. other areas, you know, where we just have a people shortage. You know, I, I would like for people to really take advantage of something that you did, of making sure your mission aligns with their mission. Because oftentimes we don't have that opportunity. You know, we're looking for a job. They're offering a job. So I feel like I need to take the job. Yes, but now we're in a different space with many opportunities that we can actually look at our mission and make choices. Do I want to work at A, B, or C based yeah. on how our missions align? Because you're really able to thrive when those missions align and it really builds retention and growth and all of that great stuff. You're, you're just in your element. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you make about, because it is a risk to decide if something is in front of you, but you really don't, you know, as, as, the, as the current generation says, you really don't feel it if it does. And if it doesn't feel right for you, then it probably isn't. And, you know, there's a bigger risk, I think now, just from an economic standpoint of doing something that you feel less comfortable with for the sake of doing something versus just sitting it out and being patient. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is, you know, that that being patient is probably, you know, when you can do it, it's probably the very best thing to do. Because I've had some friends who've been on the market recently and, you know, they had these different opportunities and I'd be like, well, but can you see yourself living there? Can you see yourself doing this? Because it's like, well, I can make it work. And I'm thinking that, you know, that's not that's not what I want to hear. It's not about what I want to hear, but it's not a good answer in my mind to say I can make it work because in the back of your mind, you're always unsettled. And so if you if you have the ability to make a reasoned choice, then I think that would be the best thing to do. Sometimes right. we can't. But a lot of times, you know, just doing something for the sake of doing it is not going to pay off as much as doing something that you can really believe in. Because you bring in the strength of your character and you bring in your, your courage and you bring in your confidence and your interest to that place. And when you're dealing with people who've been in a place for, you know, 25, 30 years, they can see whether you're in it to win it or not with them, you know, and that's something that think people have to think about. I think you both make really good points about that job market and something new graduates, teacher candidates need to consider is that space at the end of an interview when they say, do you have any questions for us? That is an, a great opportunity to talk about the culture and yes. what, what principals or other teachers think about 
collaboration or curriculum design, in our case with the K-12 education, but everyone can be thinking, how can I phrase a question that will really get to what I value about culture, about mentorship, about collaboration? That's important because if the fit isn't there, then both people lose. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point, because I think that especially in K-12, which is which is political, you know, truly political because of its nature in the city and the school districts and all that, that, you know, the the K-12 teacher candidates really need to understand the structure of the local government, the school board, the school districts. And, you know, if you are, you know, if you are an innovative person or you really want to go into it with the spirit of genuine change, asking that question, what's going to be the biggest impediment to my success? You know, and if you're doing a presentation and somebody hears you talking about that, you can say, you know, I talked about this in my presentation today. What's going to keep me in your experience from meeting that goal or achieving that goal, or how hard is it gonna be to do that? But you do have to establish a little bit of rapport with people during the course of the day. So they'll give you an honest answer, you know, because they don't wanna scare you off, especially if they want you, they don't wanna scare you away. But then you also have to, you also have to find out not what they're keeping from you, but how difficult it will be to do what you wanna do. And then you ask yourself, do I really want to do that? Do I want to invest the resources? Do I want to invest the time? And is it something I can actually change or is it something that I have to learn to live with and then figure out how to get what I want within that system? It was funny when you said, well, think about, well, do you really want this or I can make it work? It's almost like dating, right? Exactly. It's a relationship. It's like dating. And when you think about, well, I can make it work. Do you really want to date this person? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 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 Now, this has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your views on mentorship and on leadership. And you've offered our listeners and us a lot of great insights into the pathways to leadership and how to think about where we are and where we want to be. So it's been great having this conversation today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I know probably all your guests say the time went by really fast, but it really did. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you. Our listeners, did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.